no one has the capacity to deal with that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And the reality is that if you try to, you become less and less effective. This is Defender Radio. Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bears. Right off the bat this week, I want to let you know we're going to be talking about trauma, anger, depression, anxiety, grief, and issues related to mental health. If you choose not to listen to this episode as a result, I fully understand, but please consider looking into mental health resources in your community. Additionally, on this episode, we'll be talking about healthy coping mechanisms, how to ask for help, and why it's vital that we consider self-care as advocates. This week, there will be no news brief edition, as I felt it inappropriate to edit down the interview. Now, on with the show. Liz Sinclair Cruth was a vegetarian at a young age. She went on to become a successful veterinarian, helping to literally save the lives of thousands of animals. Today, she is a counselor in Guelph, Ontario, and saving more lives than she ever could have imagined. I spent some time with Liz at her office several weeks ago, where we discussed important issues for the well-being of advocates, such as managing strong emotions like anger and grief, the importance of taking time for self-care and finding effective tools, and how to ask for help. Well, why, why don't we start sort of at the beginning? How did you get to here? We are in Guelph in a very comfortable room with nice calm tones mm. and plant life <laughs> uh, and the sound of water, which is relaxing and mutes the noise from other rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're a counselor. How did you get to here? What was your, your journey? Well, I was, um, before becoming a counselor, I was actually a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And that's, and as a, I actually remember the distinct moment when I, as a, as a young child, I was about 10 years old when I decided that I loved animals and realized the complicated roles that animals play in our world. And so from that moment on, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I wanted to help animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what I did. In high school, I went to university and then I went and I did my doctor of veterinary medicine. Was that here in, in Guelph? Guelph. Yeah. So that's what ultimately, that's what brought me to Guelph. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, after that, I, I was at the uh, Atlantic Veterinary College in PEI for a year after I graduated, decided mm-hmm. that I loved Guelph, mm-hmm. made my way back here, <clears throat> worked as an emergency veterinarian for about six or seven years. And that, was that small animal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so most, know, in Guelph, you, get a lot, you do get a lot of the large animal stuff too in Guelph. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of variety for yeah. sure. Cause there's, cause it's one of the, it's like the epicenter for veterinary medicine, yeah. you know, in Canada is one of them at least. And, um, and I never, there was, there was a few things that, that, uh, sort of didn't work for me in veterinary medicine. I had a, I had a difficult time um, uh, dealing with compassion fatigue mm-hmm. and vicarious trauma. I've, I've just seen some of the really difficult things that you see as a veterinarian and some of the conflicts between you know what people can afford and, and what medicine you can do. And um, 
I started to realize more and more that a lot of what I did as a veterinarian, especially in emergency medicine, was um, I did informal counseling of people. You help, you're helping people deal with grief and decision-making and um, family dynamics, you know, trauma. I don't know any veterinarian who, who hasn't been in a room and you give somebody as animal uh, diagnosis of cancer and you end up talking then about someone that they know that has cancer or their own cancer and things mm-hmm. like that and you start and I started to realize that that um, a lot of my work was around that and so I started te- teaching um, communications at the University of Guelph to the veterinary students to help them learn how to be better communicators in their future practice and then um, ultimately then decided to go into counseling and to actually focus on this type of work. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting leap. Um, and I think what is telling about it is the, the work that goes into getting into veterinary medicine and getting to where you were at. Yeah. Uh, I've known <laughs> a few people who wanted to go that way. Yeah. And it's, it's a difficult thing. So it, it, it was not a, a light decision, I imagine, to go into veterinary medicine. Well, no, to leave veterinary medicine. Oh, yeah, because because I had so much invested in it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I started, you know, and, and to be perfectly honest, sometimes in hindsight, I probably should have sought more of my own counseling because I knew I was I was dealing with some of these things of compassion fatigue and mm-hmm. vicarious trauma and and um, and you know I I. Uh, I sort of stepped away from, but from the practice or from medicine, from that. But I, but in addition to that, I, I never quite found my fit there. So mm-hmm. as well, it just the the work didn't didn't quite fit with me. I was I feel like I was pretty good at it, but um, it was it was hard sometimes to see everything that comes through the door. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, dealing with that on a daily basis and I, I want to define before we kind of get into more of this compassion fatigue which is a term that I've, I've discussed on the show before and we've had webinars on but also vicarious trauma which I, I can guess at from context <laughs> but if you could offer sort of a, a loose definition how would you define what those two terms mean um, yeah so compassion fatigue you said you've already um, you know, done some work on that mm-hmm. in your previous podcasts. And so that, that it, for me is um, sort of feeling a bit numb to everything. And because you're seeing a lot of, uh, you're feeling overextended in terms of your compassion and empathetic abilities. So I'm an extremely empathetic person. And so, so I was always the bleeding heart at the, yeah. <laughs> at the clinic, at the clinic, right. When I was, <clears throat> when I was the doctor on, on, uh, on call there and uh and then the other side of that so I would I found in my practice sometimes I would either be sort of feeling numb to everything which would sort of be more the compassion fatigue or I would feel um be feeling sort of traumatized sometimes by things that would come in and so vicarious trauma is uh, what someone experiences when they're not um experiencing the trauma themselves but they can still be traumatized through either witnessing or or hearing about other people other Mm -hmm. people's or animals experiences as well so i find that something that is is definitely worth talking about because i don't know that it's necessarily 
especially those of us in the advocacy, whether we are exactly. you know in the advocacy business, as I would call yeah. it, which is what I do, yeah. uh, or whether you are someone who is simply empathetic and you know you're a vegan or you yeah. are anti-fur, you do whatever, yeah. but you are exposed to a lot of this. And I think with the internet, especially, we can very quickly become exposed to a lot of things. Absolutely. Is that something that people need to acknowledge in themselves? Like this is a real thing that can have negative effects on us. Absolutely. So I think that recognizing trauma and vicarious trauma in advocacy work, either people who work in the industry or people who just do this on the side or mm -hmm. as part of their personal life or or even people that, that are on any realm of the spectrum there of, of caring about advocacy work and that um, <clears throat> recognizing the, the trauma that we all take in <clears throat> and process or deal with in different ways, I think is very, very important. Um, and because the impacts of that can be, can be huge. Yeah. And can be and can be very negative, especially if we don't recognize what it is. And it, so it can come out in all sorts of ways. Um, it can come out as anger. It can come out as depression. It can come out as um, you know having power and control issues and things like that. And so I think that once once people make the connection of what of how our society treats animals sometimes. <laughs> is uh, once you make that connection, you're susceptible to, to um, trauma every day, just going to the grocery store, yep. <laughs> you know, or just walking down the street, seeing what people are wearing or seeing what people are doing or reading the news. Um, you're susceptible to, to all sorts of trauma. And that leads into the interesting concept of triggers, which um, I feel are sometimes misused in pop culture. Uh, or in the media, I, I know in my fantasy football league, it is <laughs> joked about daily, uh, often several times a day. Um, and it is also something that I personally have experienced. There are certain things for me I, I see and I can't deal with. There's many things I am very good at compartmentalizing. Uh, but for me, there are very specific instances that I cannot watch. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll watch all of the horrific fur, uh, fur farm footage we get and the trap footage and all of these things, and I can manage that. I've got a couple of very, 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 like, super specific things cannot do. Um, and I feel that talking about triggers and uh, or content warnings is another one I've seen mm -hmm. is something I think we as advocates need to have a better handle on how do you express what a trigger is to people and maybe what isn't a trigger yeah so when we when we talk about trauma I'm not going too far off of your question here mm -hmm. but when I think of advocates and trauma, there's I think of two avenues of it. So one, I think of, I think that many advocates in um, have experienced trauma themselves, whether that's um, in their childhood or in their relationship, whether it's racism or sexism or homophobism, any of the isms. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for a lot of people that can create. Uh, a passion for acting out against injustice 
um, and for not tolerating and for speaking out for those that are vulnerable because they themselves have been in powerless feeling situations. Yeah. Um, so that's one avenue that trauma can, can, it, can uh, fuel advocates' work. And then the other, the other side of trauma in advocates is what we just talked about, about their, once you make those connections of how animals are sometimes viewed by society, then you're open to experiencing more trauma. <clears throat> I think often triggers, it, when you, a trigger is like a gateway into your brain of what's, of, of some type of previous trauma or previous experience, then that acts like a floodgate. Yeah. That then can, that then can um, literally flood your brain with what is a previous traumatic experience or, or, um, or something like that. Does that resonate does. with what you're, yeah. Yeah. I, and I find it's, again, it's, it's interesting that it gets joked about. Hmm. Uh, and I wonder how much of that is simply the fact that a lot of people don't understand it. It's this weird thing that for, I would think, many people on the planet, uh, particularly in the Western world, where we have a lot of good things going for us, uh, it simply won't be experienced. Hmm. Uh, and again, with the part of society I represent, you know, the white male cisgender, <laughs> blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's all the privilege. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it is very, it is very seldom I think that we are going to be exposed to that in a daily basis. Yeah. Whereas I think for a lot of other people, it is a lot more common. Yeah. Um, but of course, that is an exercise in empathy for people who don't have empathy, and we're going to go in circles on that uh, <laughs> until we destroy ourselves. Um, talking about the different ways that uh, the trauma, whether it's vicarious trauma, whether it's compassion fatigue, uh, or even just the stress, mm -hmm. just flat out everyday normal stress, yeah. can manifest themselves, um, I think is, is very important to discuss as well. Uh, I, I have an anxiety disorder. I probably had it as a young child, mm -hmm. uh, but of course didn't get diagnosed until I was 18 and tanked. Um, and it's something I try and be very open about and talk about. And I've done CBT and medication mm -hmm. and mindfulness and all the things that really help. But I find there's still a lot of people who don't understand what anxiety is or don't mm -hmm. understand what depression is and the difference between an ongoing depression and maybe, and I'll get the term wrong, but like a depressive state. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that people should be trying to be introspective about? Or is it the kind of thing that they should be speaking to? Like if I, I'm wondering, am I having these feelings? Hmm. Should I go to my family doctor? Should I see a counselor such as yourself? Or should I try and, you know, WebMD it, so to speak? <laughs> the, uh, I think if, I think there's a lot of things that people can do if they're starting to wonder if they're having these types of feelings, whether mm -hmm. it's stress or, um, trauma or compassion fatigue or burnout there's just sort of lots of the words that you hear yeah. today around mental health you know anxiety depression these are sort of the the biggies in terms of mental health and there and you, there are lots of things that can be done you know so yeah having people to talk to and those are people that are that are that are close to you that are safe people um but also therapists qualified mm -hmm. therapists who can can help work through some of these issues. And that's what I do. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's, 
I think it's also really important to speak out about these things too, because there's, there's, uh, as much as we would like there not to be, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. And, um, even though that is changing, it's change happens slowly. Um, so the more that people speak out about these things, the more that that normalizes it for other people who may be experiencing the same thing that, and that may or may not recognize what they're experiencing. And, uh, I know for myself, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I know for myself, um, you know, I've been some form of vegetarian or vegan since I was 10 years old. I told yep. you there was that moment <laughs> I was in a bookstore and I, and I don't remember the book, but it was this little blue book and, and I was opening it. And, and I remember that very distinct moment as I, I recognized, oh, that, that's, we eat animals. Yeah. That's, was it for me, right? Or that we have fur, you know, where mm-hmm. people wear fur, that's what leather is. You know, that was suddenly I had this like epiphany as a kid. And you can't, once you make that connection, you can't unmake that connection. And uh, of course, at that time, I was a 10 year old living in rural Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that went over well with the community. So yeah, and my my parents were like, what the heck are we going to do with you? And, um, and so it, I know for me, it took, it took me about, it took me probably about 20 years to find my voice. And because for me, for me, I always thought, well, well, I don't want to, I don't want to speak out. I don't want to, I don't want to cause trouble. I just want to live my life the way that I want to live my life. And, and a lot of the advocacy that, that I saw at that time was, 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 um, sometimes very traumatizing advocacy or very angry ad, yeah. ad you know, advocacy of, of people you know, yelling at people or judging other people for eating meat or for wearing leather for, you know, and, and, and I, and that's not really me and that's not who I wanted to be in the world. But so I only saw those two options of either doing nothing and keeping it really inside me mm-hmm. or of, you know, being out there, you know, sort of the, the, the PETA-esque really, you know, kind of really exposing, um, type of advocacy. And then, uh, but that, but I, but I was, I wasn't, that wasn't enough for me. I keeping, just keeping it to myself wasn't enough. Yeah. And I, cause I did, I felt powerless and I felt, you know, and I felt like I wasn't doing enough and I felt, uh, uh I felt traumatized, you know, by seeing, cause you see that you're in the grocery store, you see what people eat, you see people who tease you about being vegetarian or being yep. vegan. Right. And, um, and so then I slowly started to, as culture changes, and now I live in Guelph, Ontario, which is a pretty progressive place. A wee bit. Yeah. <laughs> the only place in Ontario <laughs> to elect a green, green party. Yeah. yeah and, you know, so that helped. And also things like like uh, society's awareness of animals is improved, you know, is, oh, yeah. is changing, you know, like, so now being plant-based is, is much more popular and it's, mm-hmm. you know, and you can go to restaurants and you can get vegan food and vegetarian food and, and uh, there's lots of alternatives and it's much more accessible now than it, than it used to be. And that to me, I started to see the, the sort of the positive impetus moving, you know, the, 
And I thought, well, maybe that's something that I could be more involved with, something mm -hmm. that is moving people towards a positive way that's better for the environment, that's better for animals, that's better for health. You know, all of these really positive things about moving forward as opposed to the sort of scaring people away from... Mm -hmm from you know eating meat or, or wearing fur and things like that and so and I think that both of those branches are very important I always think that that uh sort of those undercover videos I could never like I could never have anything to do with them I can't watch them I can't yeah. you know but they put things on the table yep right they bring that to attention they bring legal cases forward right they they shock people into making it a, a discussion mm -hmm. this is how i always see it and then and then the sort of the softer side of advocacy is the or the more positive moving forward provides some solutions to that yeah to to have okay this conversation is on the table what can we do about it here's some great, you know, vegan alternatives. Here's some, you know, mm -hmm. faux fur. Here's some, you know, leather alternatives and things like that. Let's move forward in a positive way. So that's like the two branches. That's how I, that's how I conceptualize advocacy work. Yeah. And I, personally, I'm much more suited to the sort of softer moving forward on the in type of branch of it and so um so i started volunteering at at the veg fest in guelph mm -hmm. you know so i started to volunteer with that and get sort of just get in a bit more involved in the community and now i i run a facebook group the vegetarian and vegan facebook group of guelph which oh, yeah. which has almost 1200 members now mm -hmm. which i'm really yeah. <laughs> excited about when i took it over it had it had about 400 so that's a lot of change in a year and mm -hmm. a half so i'm really excited about that and we have meetups and and uh lots of people and try to be very open and very accessible to people who are just trying to like explore and um try some new things and then <clears throat> then also in my work of being um you know working with people who who work in these areas or who uh who uh are struggling in these areas of doing advocacy or or of just f facing the sometimes the trauma of how animals are treated in the world yeah. it's there is a lot going on in the world right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, beyond just the animals. Yeah. And that is not to minimize the animals. But if you read the news, and I'm a news junkie still. Okay. I was in the business of news, and yeah. I'm still a news junkie. We are on the brink of war regularly now. Yeah. Uh, because of someone with Twitter whose name yeah. will not be mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're seeing massive changes in social programs here in Ontario overnight. Yeah. Um, people and you know, curriculums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but frontline healthcare uh, workers. My ex was help front uh, social worker frontline, uh, and you start hearing about cuts as well. Those are the people who are going to get cuts ultimately, yeah. um, and it it is very difficult at times to say, well, it's okay to laugh still. It's okay to have fun. Mm -hmm. You had all of this horrible stuff going on. And that's something that I have been doing this summer and I'm very proud of myself for accomplishing is in the face of grief and sadness, yeah. allowing myself to still, you know, I go to improv weekly. I spend time yeah, with nice. friends every week. I do all of these things and I, I find a way to enjoy life. Um, is that something that 
well, I, I, I'm now just putting words in your mouth, so I'm going to try and rephrase <laughs> this. How do we get to the point where we can say it is horrible what is happening in the world? And I am observing this, whether it is bearing witness or being a part of yeah. trying to provide solutions or uncover things, see these traumas happening. And now I'm going to go watch Family Guy and have a beer and <laughs> giggle for an hour. How do we present that as okay to people? Because I find that something that comes up a lot uh, in conversation is, well, no, we've got to focus on this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, we do. But yeah. for me, you know, that's what I do. I, I find time to do these other things. Um, so tell me why I am better than everybody, I guess, is yeah. really the question <laughs> I'm getting at here as I think about it. You're better than everybody, Well, Mike. thank you. That's, yeah, and you've, you've got diplomas on the wall. So yeah, I did. I, it's legit. It's, yeah. it's legit. You heard it here first. <laughs> the... Um... <clears throat> Yeah, so it being involved in the kind of work that you're involved in, the kind of work, any, anyone that, that has some kind of uh, care in their work, yeah. you know, and so um, in the caring fields, whether that's with human or whether this with animals or whether it's for a paid, you know, profession or whether it's just a, as a, a, just a hobby on the side, that's quotation marks, just yeah, a air, hobby on the side. just yeah. took place. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> It's very easy to get stuck under the thumb of of the grief and the trauma and and everything that you're exposed to in the world. Even reading the news, I know yeah. people that can't read the news because they work they work in you know in a field where they are exposed to a lot of trauma, and then it just reading that reading the news is just re-traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And so an exam. So what you're talking about too, being able to go to improv, it's to try to the, um, have a, have a beer if that's your thing, you know, or get together with your gaming friends yep. and things like that. So that's a really important piece of dealing with, uh, trauma and compassion, compassion, fatigue and stress, burnout, what all the, all of those things. And that's having boundaries. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> no one has the capacity to deal with that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a week a year and the reality is that if you try to you become less and less affected effective yeah. <laughs> sorry you become more and more affected and you become less and less effective mm -hmm. and so it's very important to take that time to set those boundaries and boundaries for ev for everyone is different for each person of what that might be like you said you've got some really specific triggers that yep. you cannot be exposed to whereas but you can watch the videos that your organization does for you know um exposing you know mink farms and things like that that mm -hmm. just happened in this area you know i like there is no way i can watch those videos i won't sleep at night i'll replay them you know, and so, but maybe what your triggers are, maybe I, maybe I could handle that. Yeah. And so setting, so recognizing boundaries and setting boundaries and then having some type of existence on the other side of that boundary is really important, whether that's, um, you know, and whatever that is for, is different for all people, it's social time, it's exercise, it's reading, it's watching family guy, <laughs> um, that's one of the things that we know is really, really important for um, addressing trauma, PTSD, burnout, stress, all of those, all of those things. So that's one of the ways um, 
that's one of the things that, that people need to do if they're involved in this kind of work. Yeah, one of the things I was taught uh, by the counselor I've been seeing lately is that it is both normal and healthy to feel more than one thing at once. Mm-hmm. And that was... Isn't that complicated? <laughs> it, it was a very mind-blowing thing because I, yeah. I remember sitting in the room with her and saying, I feel like I should be more sad right now. Yeah. And her saying, okay, so yeah. later you'll be sad. And right now, you know, you can just be relaxed. And you'll, like, I listen to it's a podcast and stand-up comedy. I, I yeah. surround myself with funny whenever yeah. possible. Yeah. Uh, it is my escape in the world. I like stand-up um, comedy too. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It uh, helps. It does. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's like when you listen to that, you're going to laugh and you're going to be happy. And that doesn't mean later you're not sad or that there's sadness under mm-hmm. it. But in the moment, you can feel more than one thing. And you're right, it is so complicated to try and wrap your mind around. But for me, it's hearing it told to me in my specific situation, it just clicked. Mm -hmm. And it made everything feel a little bit better. Uh, And I think that's also the power of counseling. Yeah. Is having someone say, yes, what you feel is normal. And uh, it is remarkable how good that can feel. Um, So I encourage everybody to go to counseling. But... Um, I can't remember the point I was going to make now. That happens sometimes. <laughs> just feeling more. You were talking about feeling, you know, more feel, like yes. different feelings at the same time, and that's that's an interesting point too because that brings up in in uh, advocacy work. There's a there's a psychologist Casey Taft who works out of Boston, and mm-hmm. he he actually works with PTSD with veterans mostly, but he also is. Um, vegan and he and he does some talks on trauma in uh, animal advocacy work and he made a comment once that that is really stuck with me in one of his talks and and it was that have you ever met the advocate who is um angry at everyone and everything right Mm -hmm. like i don't care about people i don't care what you're doing i only care about animals i only care about animals and um so anger is the easiest human feeling to feel. Yeah. And so, but there's almost always something underneath it because we know that having anger like that, it's, it's, not, it's not helping anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not helping, and, and most importantly, it's not helping the cause. Right? Yeah. You know, you're just gonna alienate people, right? And, um, and offend people. But, and, but often what's under that anger is much more complicated feelings. Yes. Right? Of hurt, of trauma, of, of uh, you know, a lot of pain and sadness. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Beyond well, that, just recognizing that, that, that feelings are very complicated in, in any context, and especially, I think, when you're talking about advocacy work. And I want to talk about anger. Because um, yeah. I feel grief is something that we sort of we've covered, and grief and trauma have been a very common theme. And I think for most advocates, are familiar emotions. <clears throat> and I I have found that there is a lot on how to move through grief. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it's recently been put to me is that grief doesn't go away, but is sort of we build lives around it, mm-hmm. and it becomes a smaller and smaller piece, mm-hmm. and it still exists, but mm-hmm. we've got all this other stuff. Anger, though, is something I struggle with personally when I get angry because I am a physically nonviolent person. 
even as an angsty teenager hitting a wall, <laughs> I couldn't really do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I tried taking boxing classes. My father was very athletic and aggressive. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll be a boxer like he was. And I had a little bit of fun with the warm-ups and stuff. And then I got punched in the face and said, no, I don't like boxing anymore. Because, A, I don't really have, like, you know, when they say, okay, you need to punch that guy. I said, well, what's my motivation? Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> what's the backstory here? <laughs> um, but also, I don't like getting hit. So it was really a no-go for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been doing a couch to 5K and trying to run uh, and taking my dog for lots of walks. But then, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, something happens and you get angry and it's just sitting there. And I'm pretty good at letting go of anger over time. But yeah. in the moment, yeah. what to do with it. And yeah. the danger with that to me in my specific position in advocacy is seeing people then go online angry. Yeah. And yeah. I am not saying don't be angry. There's a lot of stuff to be angry oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there um, is. So by no means am I trying to tone police or anything like that. It's just how you handle it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, again, as a social media mm. manager... When I then see someone, they see something traumatic where there is a reference to something traumatic with wildlife and they say, we should do that to the human. I have yeah. to remove that yes. comment. Yeah. Um, both because it is uh, a dangerous position to be in yeah. legally yeah. and also because it then hurts the message we're trying to get across Absolutely. of solutions and Absolutely. finding ways through. Mm, exactly. So when we have that very, <coughs> and I, I say it's a very quick anger. Not the long drawn out one, but a quick, mm -hmm. I'm angry. Mm -hmm. How should, or not how should, how can we manage that in a more healthy way? How do we funnel that or compartmentalize it to use in a specific area? What is the easy answer to getting rid of anger in all of our lives immediately and achieving world peace? <laughs> Magically go. and yes. go, yeah. What is a million the spell? dollar question, yeah. The, um, well, I think it's, I think the distinction you made between what you called slow anger and quick anger is really, is really an important distinction because you think of, so the slow anger, if I'm inferring correctly from what you're saying is sort of the, the anger at injustice and at, and at, um, inequality and that fuels our passion and work. Yes, it's yeah. the, the big, you know, something is, is wrong with the world. We need to change this. We need yeah. to do something about it. And that can be a very, that, that anger is one, very appropriate, mm -hmm. two, very motivating, and can be, and can be uh, funneled into productive activities. Yeah. You know, advocacy work, you know, or what have you. Lifestyle changes, talking to other people, fueling change. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. And that can be very purpose-giving even, you know, in our lives for people. And, and that's um, because helping others is very purpose-giving in life. The fast anger is, is, is almost always destructive. Yeah. <laughs> like what you're seeing, right? This is, this is, there's, and there's usually always feelings underlying it, like we sort of talked about before. And, um, and it's looking for a quick discharge. Yes. Right. And so that's often lashing out at, at those around us, whether that's in, in the internet, whether that's at a protest or whether that's, you know, at a family barbecue when someone's eating meat or wearing yeah. leather for something like that. <clears throat> and that's, and that's 
And that's almost never productive. It's almost never helpful mm -hmm. for anybody. It just hurts everybody, including the person who is doing it. Yes. Um, and so <laughs> the way to deal with that, <laughs> um, if you're the one experiencing the anger, I guess the way to deal with it, if you're the moderator, <laughs> is to do what you're doing and that you need to do some censorship. Yeah. Um, and I have to do that on, you know, say our Facebook, the vegetarian and vegan Facebook group sometimes as well. Um, and it's a fine line, right? Between, okay, what is, what is appropriate censorship and what is not? And I'm sure that you have, yeah. have those conversations all the time. If you're the one experiencing the anger, the, the key is to, is to step away mm -hmm. and to find ways to calm down. Yeah. And um, that's going to look differently for every different person, but you physically need to step away from the situation. So step away from the computer mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in some instances or step away from the interaction and um, find ways to calm down. So, and that's when you're more likely to figure out what those underlying feelings are and ways to prevent that sort of quick anger is to find productive channels to express your slow anger. Yeah. Because at least in my experience when, and with myself and with other people is that when you have <clears throat> productive outlets, then you're less likely to be susceptible to maybe those feelings of powerlessness that lead to that quick anger. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, whereas when you have an outlet, you can more, you're more likely to fuel that quick anger into the slow anger into doing something more productive. So I encourage anyone and everyone to become involved in some way. And that's going to look different for what it is, you know, for you, it's working in the field, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> for me, it's running the vegetarian group, the vegan and vegetarian group and, and doing counseling for people who do this kind of work. And, um, I sit on the, you know, on a board of advisors for, a, for a charitable organization that stops, works to stop animal testing, you know, mm -hmm. so That's I'm the animals and science policy Institute, I believe it is, it, it is, is a wonderful organization. It is. Yeah. They do great work and, um, you know, and being vegan myself. So, yeah. but, but I, I, you know, I sometimes had that quick anger. I'm sure we all have. Yep. Right. Before I found those outlets, when I was when I was talking earlier about when I was just trying to like uh, keep my passion for animal welfare like to myself, you know, for twenty years, <laughs> you know, no big deal. <laughs> Probably no negative would, consequences to that. Yeah, right? yeah, that's yeah. not repressed or anything. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, but I would have I would have that quick anger sometimes and yeah. I would lash out at people. And, and I found now that I have outlets, I feel like I'm making a difference in the world. Um, I feel like I'm I feel like things are changing. I feel hope towards how animals are treated in the world. And I and I actively remind myself of those things. <clears throat> and I encourage other people to do the same. I find when people have those things, then they're less likely to get that quick anger yeah. that's going to alienate people to our cause and also even alienate people who are even involved in our cause, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and is going to hurt ourselves. So, yeah. 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 My, my problem when I get the quick anger is I'm like a teenage girl. I, I find the one weakness in someone that they're not confident about and just poke it. 
Yeah. So it's it doesn't work out well for anybody. Yeah. Um, you probably end up damaging relationships. Oh yeah. And hurting yourself and yep. hurting the other person, right? Which is which I don't know you very well, but mm-hmm. I imagine that that those aren't your goals. No. In life. No, I. You know instead, that's not uh, where you want to be. With whiskey. Yeah. Um, good. Good. Push it down. Good. Uh, <laughs> I have sessions available on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fun times. Uh, to wrap up, uh, the, the final question is people who are thinking they want help, mm. but aren't really sure how to start. Uh, mm. And as someone who has been in and out of every available form of therapy for the last 20 years, I'm yeah. very familiar with how to find it. Yeah. But what, I mean, we're, we're going to link to your, you know, your website and everything so yeah. people can contact you. But if you live in, you know, Nantucket or <laughs> rural Alberta, um, how how do you go about finding someone, both a professional, but also someone who can identify and understand the issues? And I think as a as vegans, maybe it's a little different. Uh, like you might want someone who's maybe more familiar with the issue, or will at least be empathetic to it. Yeah. What are the steps people should take when they feel I need to talk to someone? Yeah. So. <clears throat> that's the great thing about the internet these days there's goods and bads of the internet but one of the great things is that it can really minimize that distance Mm -hmm. um so that can help people to find community even when they're uh, not in a physical community that might share their values so building community is really important and then also about talking to a professional then then you can also um find somebody who can do so I do within the province of Ontario I do I do Skype and telephone counseling as yep. well for people who may not be in this particular geographical area um, and and some therapists are starting to identify themselves as you know vegan vegetarian friendly and um, but certainly if you're talking to someone and finding that they're invalidating you or minimizing your experience, like get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> get out of there, find someone new. Find someone who, who, who validates, understands, empathizes um, with your experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found um, there's a lot of folks now too who are listing themselves as, um, I, I, I don't know what the word is technically, but sort of aware of the the social and uh emotional issues that come along if you are part of the lgbtq yes community or if yeah. you are vegan or if you are and any um, any any sort of marg- potentially marginalized population right yeah. and advocates fall into that and so um it's very important to find someone who who appreciates that and not only not only appreciates it but um uh, focuses on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But help is available. Help is definitely available. I strongly encourage anyone in Ontario who is a compassionate animal lover and in need of someone to talk with to contact Liz, as her expertise and experiences make her an outstanding counselor for advocates. She can be reached at lizsinclaircruthcounseling.com. You can find the link on this week's show notes or on the blog at thefurbears.com. Thanks for tuning in this week. Remember, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio and on Instagram at Howie Michael to get updates on new episodes, contests, and adorable pictures of JJ the Hamilton Hound. 
Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.